Morning. I have a friend who pastors a church at it's a larger church in a larger city in the U.S. And they had one Sunday morning where they had a woman in their church who now leads a, a vibrant ministry. But she got up and she shared her testimony of how she was caught up in a life of prostitution and she was a drug addict and alcohol. There's all these things that were holding her down. And she shared this Sunday morning the power of the gospel in her life, how Jesus came and set her free and. So the rest of that worship service went, and at the end, they offered a prayer time, and there was just an overwhelming response. People came to the Lord, there was baptisms, there were people surrendering to Jesus, and just this overwhelming response. Prayer leaders who were praying with people after church is over, and, and this, this minister said he sat down on the steps at church, and he was just so weary, and some of us have this feeling like after work, or me even after a Sunday, like I love what I do, but I go home and I'm just physically drained. And he said he, he was there on the steps with his hand in his or his face in his hands and he said he could smell someone come I'm not being funny he said he could smell someone who was coming close to him and he remembered that throughout the service there was a homeless man who stood in the very back who seemed to just come off the streets and he could smell this man before he saw the man he looked up and he saw him asked what his name was Asked him where he slept last night. The man said he had been sleeping in an abandoned truck. He asked how long he had been homeless. The man said six years. And this minister was sitting on the steps and he, he was just so weary that he wasn't in tune with the Spirit of God in this moment. Some of us have been in a place like where this minister was, that there seems to be someone in front of us and we're like, I'm just ready to get home. Let me just give you a few bucks so you can go on your way and I'll go on my way. So he reached in his pocket and he was just going to give this guy a few dollars and this guy just put out his hand and said, I don't want your money. I want the Jesus that woman was talking about a minute ago. Because if that Jesus could set her free, then maybe he could set me free too. And they sat down and they talked with this man and shared with him the power of the gospel and the power of Jesus and what Jesus can do. And this man became a Christian and ended up leading a vibrant recovery ministry in the life of that church. And the motto of our church, our, our mission statement is we want to help people see Jesus. And this is more than a motto. It's a way of life. Because we believe Jesus is who can save people from sins, who can redeem and restore and hold people together and give people a whole new reason to live. Next Sunday, I'm going to start a 12-week series in the book of Hebrews. I want to encourage you to read it or listen to it over the next few days. I'm excited about this. I've read Hebrews the last three to four months, probably a dozen or so times. I've listened to it on BibleGateway.com. You can listen to the Bible. I've listened to it multiple times. I've sat with people. I love Hebrews, and I can't wait to preach it beginning next week. I'm excited to see what God's going to do in and through this powerful book in the Bible. So take time to read it between now and next Sunday and invite a friend. This is a book that is still so applicable to who we are today and how we encounter God and think about Jesus. And for those of us who have given up on our lives before, or we've been close to or to given up on faith, Hebrews is a book for you. Today I'm in the part four of uh, four sermons I wanted to preach called Pulse, how you gauge your spiritual health. In the last few weeks, we've talked about the importance of rhythm and having prayer lives and lives that we're called to justice. And we've talked about what it means to stay connected to the vine. And we've also just talked some that we gauge almost everything else in life. We gauge our cars, we gauge our work, we have employee reviews, and we do this with almost everything in life. But sometimes we're not very good about gauging where we are with God. Just our maturity, our health, our development. So today I want to talk about stress a little bit. Something some of you deal with every once in a while, right? 
And there are a lot of different things in our lives that can cause stress. Some of you, it's relationships can cause you stress. Some of you, it's when your teams don't perform like you wish they would perform can cause a little stress in our lives. Casey got stressed out. We watched the, movie, we watched the show Lost, season one. Casey got so stressed, you couldn't do it anymore. Sometimes shows can do that to us. But I want to talk specifically this morning about work. Because I'm just going to assume that for some of you, work can cause stress and it impacts a family and everything else in life. Now, I know this right now as I've been preaching this sermon. I've asked God to help me to be sensitive. Because I know in this room, some of you are retired. You're not working anymore. But we still need you to help us as we think about work. Some of you aren't employed. You're currently unemployed. Maybe by choice. Maybe you're a stay-at-home parent. Maybe you're at a phase in your life right now where you're being taken care of in some other ways and you're not employed. Some of you aren't employed and you want to be employed. It's just not happening right now. Some of you are teenagers and you're just not working or you're kids and, and you're not working. I hope that as I walk you through what God wants of us in work, that whether we are currently working or not, there's some principles about the character of God that can help us no matter where we are. I think an anthem for all of us, no matter where we are in life, is Colossians 3 verse 17, which says this, that whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Um, so let's begin with two truths. And one truth is this, you are not going to live forever. Uh, we, my, my youngest child just turned 10 about uh, two weeks ago. And the night before Noah turned 10, we're praying over Noah. So we're about to go to bed. The kids are about to go to bed. We're laying hands on Noah. And we are praying for God to fill his life, for Jesus to be the one who guides his life. We are praying the spirit of God over my son. And we're taking turns doing this. It was awesome. And Truett prays for Noah. And Truett says this, God, tomorrow my younger brother turns double digits. And God, he's probably never going to see triple digits unless he gets really lucky. And in my mind, I'm thinking, that's right. I mean, the dude doesn't eat vegetables. He doesn't eat fruit. Uh, how, far can, how far can chicken fries and nachos get you in life? I don't know. But God, be with him as he lives double digits for the rest of his life. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, we are not going to live forever as we know it. Now, those of us who are in Jesus, there's a life forever where we're going to have redeemed bodies and there'll be no more stress and no more weariness and no more cholesterol problems. It's going to be life like God meant it to be. Now, here's another truth. You're not going to have to work forever. The average American will work about 100,000 hours in their life. Some of you feel like you did that last week. Now, I don't know if you knew this, but there were a few years on Amazon where if you looked under Amazon under the category of books on work, the number one book under the category of work was this. It was the four-hour work week. How you can escape the nine to five, live anywhere, and join the new rich. And people love this book. Some of you right now, you're like, I'm about to get that right now. That sounds great. How can we work less, make more money, and have a life where we can do what we want? Now, you're not going to work forever as you know it, but there is going to be work forever, whether it's this life or the next. And some of you right there are like, this is heresy, I'm leaving this church. I want to go to heaven and I want to I water ski and I want to sit on a couch and don't have to deal with health problems anymore. But the way God created the world was that work was a part of it. But it wasn't work that brought stress. It was work that brought creativity and that we produced the way God wanted us to produce 
and there was great joy in it. So let's talk about God and work. I want to go all the way back to Genesis 1, 2, and 3 to talk about how God creates expectations for the workplace and how we think about work and vocation and partnership with God and all of this. And I, and I think we need to begin in Genesis chapter 1. Let's go all the way back to verse 26. And it's this. And then God said, let us make humankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, over livestock, all wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. God creates us in his image, and God created people, and God gave them the responsibility to rule, to steward. This wasn't to abuse or to do whatever you wanted. This was God was trusting us with the things God created to take good care of it. Verse 27, so God created humankind in his own image. and the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. This means so much, we can't even unpack it all today. But because God created us in his image, just as God created, God wants us to be those who help create. As God set things in motion and tried to bring order out of chaos, God wants to use us to do the same in the world today. And then God, God blessed them in verse 28. Which I had a friend who taught me years ago that the calling of God in Genesis 1 is to live from the blessing of God, not for the blessing of God. And there's a big difference as we try to live this out in life. God blessed them. And then God said, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth, subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. I want you to stop right there. If you're taking notes, I want you to write down three things that this right here lets us know. And it's this, that through creating, through God creating humankind, God does this. He gives them responsibility. God creates an expectation. And God invites partnership. There's responsibility. There's an expectation. There's partnership. Now, the first time the word work shows up in the Bible, it's not human beings working, it's God working. As Genesis 2, verse 1 through 3, and verse 2 of chapter 2 goes like this. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And then God blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy because on it, he rested from all the work of creating uh, that he had done. So right here, God's, I don't think this is for, I don't think that God is saying this right here, that God was so tired he needed to rest. God is setting in motion a work ethic for humankind. That you work and you rest. And this is an example God set for humans. Now, here's where we get really messed up in life. Is that sometimes our thinking about work is that work is post-fall. So it's after the fall of man. And that work is a curse and it's something, it's a means to an end. Like you just have to do it. But there's work pre-fall. That when God created God created humankind to be a part of how God is taking care of everything. He created them to partner with God and, and how God was creating and how God was stewarding what he created. So there's work pre-fall and there's work post-fall. And a lot of times the way we think about work post-fall, and you've done this on a Monday morning before, where you're like, if Adam and Eve wouldn't have done that fruit, I wouldn't have to be stressed out in the workplace. But let me be really careful. I want us to be careful how we read Genesis 3. And I've talked about this before. And you don't have to buy into this. I'm just saying, if you read the Bible literally in Genesis 3, there are specific things that are cursed and some things that we think are cursed, but the Bible doesn't say they're cursed in Genesis 3. 
So after the fall of man, the fall of humankind, here's what you have in chapter 3, verse 14. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you'll eat dust all the days of your life, which I have no clue how the serpent moved around before that. That's the curse. Verse 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground. The two things in the Bible that are literal that are cursed is the serpent and the ground, which I'm sure the ground's like, what did we do to be cursed? But cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you'll eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you'll eat the plants of the field. And by the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Now, you don't have to buy this, but Jewish rabbis taught for years that in Genesis 3, this wasn't a curse, these were observations. That in Genesis 3, what God is saying here, this isn't God saying, hey, this is what I want to do with humans. This is God saying, because disruption has entered the world but through sin, this is how life's going to be. That God didn't create the world to be disrupted in relationships and to, uh, people reaching for power over others. He didn't create it that way. That God created harmony and perfection and beauty and wholeness. But because of disruption, here's what the world's going to be like. So there's work pre-fall that's really good, and there's work is post-fall that shows us there's going to be a lot of stress. Now, here's the thing. The Greeks and the Romans thought about work a certain kind of way. So this has gone on for a couple thousand years. So the Greco-Roman world, and I think this is really important, the Greeks and Romans believed that work was a necessary evil. They believed that work was secular and it was material, so they said work is bad, work is simply something that's a, it's a barrier to you enjoying life. So the Greeks and the Romans thought of work this way. That you just have to work because we all have to work, but work really keeps us from joy. It's, a, it's material, it's secular, and then there's your spiritual life over here. Right? The Jews didn't think of work this way. For the Jews, they didn't think of work as something you just had to do. For Jews, it was a way of partnering with God, of tending to the world. Now, you tell me which ones Christians in the Western world have bought into more. That work is just a necessary evil that we've just got to do it to pay bills and try to make it through life. Or that work is a way of we live life for God through work to help bless the world. All right, so... A few anthem, anthems for us, and Paul talks about these, and sometimes he's talking about these in the context of slaves and, employ, or slaves and masters, but in Colossians 3.17, he says, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. A few verses later, Colossians 3.22, whatever you do, you work at it with all of your heart as you were working for the Lord, not for human masters. In Ephesians 6, 7 and 8, it says, so Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. It's pretty good, right? Like Paul's, what, what Paul is saying is something like this, like your employers think you work for them. 
and, and you do kind of. So I don't want you to respond to your annual reviews in a way like, I really don't work for you. Don't, don't try that, okay? But, but for those of us who are believers, who've been baptized in the water in the name of Jesus, who take the bread and the cup, who surrender our lives to Jesus, what we know is, is no matter who we're working for, we're serving God in what we do. We're trying to live this out in everything we do. And the Bible took vocation really seriously. The first person to be told to have the Spirit of God in their life, it wasn't Abraham, it wasn't Isaac, it wasn't Jacob, it wasn't Moses. It's a guy named Bezalel in Exodus 31. Throughout the Bible, you have silversmiths and gardeners. And in the New Testament alone, you have tax collectors. You have people who make clothes. You have carpenters. You have fishermen, doctors, tent makers, midwives. And when many of these people came to Jesus, Jesus didn't say, leave what you're doing and become a minister, become a missionary. It's that there in what you do, I want you to say right where you are and you live out the gospel where you are. Dick Lucas An author once said this, it's often hard to get Christians to see that God is willing not just to use men and women in ministry, but in law, in medicine, in business, in the arts. And this is a great shortfall today. I walked you through Colossians 3, 17, Colossians 3, 23, Ephesians 6, 7, and 8. And something I've just believed in, and I've written this down multiple times as I've prayed this week, is this, through work, we get to stand in for God in the world. And I don't make that statement as if I'm saying like we're substitute teachers and God didn't want to show up for work so God sent us in 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 God's place. But that through work we become ambassadors of God. We become creators. We are those who produce. We are those who have a chance to through work bless other people and bless the world. Tim Keller was thinking back on history and said this. Martin Luther and John Calvin argued that all work, even so-called secular work, was as much a calling from God as the ministry of the monk or the priest. Because I don't think this is really alive in the church as much today, but I know there were decades where if you saw a 10 or 11 or 12-year-old boy who seemed to have a heart for God and could stand up in front of people, they were encouraged to become a preacher, to go into youth ministry. If you can lead worship, maybe you become a worship minister one day. Go be a missionary somewhere. Work for a nonprofit. And we, I still believe God calls people into all of these areas. But I also believe God is calling people and raising them up today to be doctors and librarians and to enter into every place of work throughout our culture. So, a couple of things I know are true, I think for all of us here, is most of you have had a job in your life that you have loved. And most of you have probably had a job in your life that you have hated. So show of hands, and you don't have to raise your hand. Because you may work for somebody or with somebody and you don't want them to know whether you love or hate your job. How many of you had a job in your life at some point in your life that you have loved? It brought you joy. It maybe, maybe it was good money. You loved it. How many of you have had a job in your life that you have hated? Yeah. And all the ministers with their hands up, all, we're all thinking, what is that now? Or is that, that in the past? What, what was it? I've been a minister now at a church since 2001. So that's been most of my life. I've taught quite a bit. Back in high school, I had a couple, a few different jobs. I, I worked at CC's for a while. I cut pizzas. I was making $4.25 an hour. That was minimum wage. I, uh, I umpired T-ball and coach pitch for a few years, which was great. Love being with kids. I found out parents are crazy, all right? My junior year of high school, I had a buddy and said, man, you want to make some good money because I got a job where you can make a lot better than minimum wage. 
He said, you can make $6.50 an hour, which I was like, yeah, what is it? And he was like, it was at CompUSA. It was kind of like an Office Max type place. So I took this job. The only problem was I knew nothing about anything in that entire store. They put me in charge of ink cartridges. That was my job. And some other miscellaneous items. People would call and for my department, and they had questions, and I wouldn't know the answers, and I didn't know what to do, and I didn't want to ask other people because they were busy. I would leave people on hold until they would hang up. <laughs> I was awful at this job. I, ha- I would hide in the back. I learned in that job that, that the only thing I remember learning in that job is what happens if you put a CD in the microwave and do not try it at home, all right? It was an awful job. I, I hated it. Three weeks went by. I ran track my junior year of high school to get me out of having to work that job. It was awful. Most of us have jobs in our lives that we've loved, and we probably have had jobs in our lives that we have hated. But here's something I've grown to believe. God likes work. And here's something I think we believe. God is working. Now, I think that statement right there, God is working, I think that is something all of us in here would say, we believe that to be true. Now, we could talk about like, how is God working and what ways is God working? We could talk about that. But God is working, I think that's true. But here's the, if that is true, God is working means that God is working through your work, like at your work. So we don't like leave a place of a devotional with God in the morning, some quiet time to go to work. God is in our work. He's, he's doing, he, he's there. We just have to try to ask God to make us more aware of what God's doing in the world. Now, if this is true, God is working means that God is working at your work. There are a couple extremes Christians can go to. One extreme is, is that we can think, well, the only way I work for God and work is that I evangelize or proselytize everyone around me. Now, I hope that we have a passion that for those who we work with or work alongside of who don't know Jesus, that God will open doors for us to share Jesus with them at some point. But that's not the only way God wants Christians to work in the workplace. I think God cares about work ethic. I think Christians should be those who show up a few minutes early to work and they leave a few minutes late and they're not those that bosses or other employees have to worry whether they're getting their work done or not. Like work ethic and attitude and behavior and how you treat people matter in a workplace. But another extreme a lot of Christians have taken is if you work in a secular job where, like it's known, like we don't want you talking about faith or sharing faith here. Too many people have like given up on what it means to like ask God for creativity on how to be a person who lives for God in that kind of workplace. It makes me so mad when I hear people say things like, we've taken God out of public schools or prayer doesn't exist in schools anymore because God's never needed permission to go anywhere. And though you don't pray over a microphone, doesn't mean prayer isn't happening in hallways and through teachers and, a, and through students in a lot of other places. Uh, a close friend of mine, David Frace, he was Casey's youth minister growing up. He's coming to preach later on in December here in this church. He's been a mentor to both of us for years. Many of you have heard David Frace uh, speak at Winterfest and other uh, youth rally events. And one thing I love that, that David has done over the last few years is he was dreaming with God of how he could uh, enter into public schools to declare the gospel specifically to athletes. So he started working with FCA. And then he, he started dreaming. God laid a dream on his heart. And he, so now here's what David does. He knows that in, in Texas, like high school football is a big deal. It's such a big deal. Like 
Almost every football team has eight full-time coaches for that team. So the impact a coach can have on a kid's life is huge. So what David has done is he went to a public school in Fort Worth and he said, hey, can I come and just be an encourager, like a life coach? That's what he called himself. I want to be a life coach. So David knows that he can't be employed or receive money and work for a football team in a public school and be named a chaplain or a pastor or or, uh, lead devotionals without being asked. He knows that. But he also knows if he comes along living as a person of great character who's caring for people, that when people come and ask him about faith or people have a loved one die or a mom come down with cancer or coaches have marriages that are struggling or something else and they come to him, then he can respond however he wants. In a few years, he's seen, he has seen dozens of coaches and students come to Jesus and place their faith in Christ through baptism. Now he works at LCU in Lubbock, but he's also found a high school there where he's doing the same thing. And not just that, but he's, he's now coaching up other coaches, life coaches, these character coaches, to do the very same thing in schools all over the state of Texas. It's a beautiful thing. And this is what happens when we say, okay, God, how are you working in the workplace? How do you want to use me? And sometimes it's through the little things that great fruit comes from it. So, a truth is, God is working in your work. But here's another truth. Work is not God. Work isn't God. I remember the story of a woman who was in her second pregnancy, and one thing thing she said in that, she said, I love being pregnant because when I'm pregnant, I feel like I am doing something all the time. Even when I sleep, there's production coming from me. And this is too often how we feel. Like, I mean, it's true. We ask people their name when we meet them, and the very next question is usually like, what do you do with your life? It becomes who we are. And there's a reason when God talks about work, even when God set them free in, in Exodus and from Egypt, the first thing God does is he establishes Sabbath principles. Because God knows if work becomes your life, and there's no rest or time to reflect on who God is, then we can lose sight of what it's all about. You've read it before, and I have too. There are two major threats when it comes to our spiritual lives, when it comes to our faith. And two threats are this. Number one can be suffering. And I don't want to talk a lot about this one. We're going to talk about this one quite a bit throughout the book of Hebrews. Hebrews talks a lot about suffering. But the second one is this. A threat to our faith and spiritual life is success. Sometimes getting what you want can be the worst thing for you. Because you have dreams and you reach for them and you do anything you can to get there. And you get there and then you say, was it worth it? The book of Ecclesiastes in the Bible is one of the most applicable, helpful books for us today. But I believe that 37 times in the book of Ecclesiastes, the word empty shows up. I've spoken at a number of baccalaureate events, graduation, commencement ceremonies. And I've just been wondering as I've been writing this sermon, like what would happen if I stood up in front of a bunch of graduating seniors one one year and my message to them, like usually, I mean, I do, and especially if I'm in certain settings, I can't go in and talk a lot about faith. So I do what you've probably heard before, like, hey, have big dreams, go be a world changer. And I think there's a place for those messages. Even on Senior Sunday, sometimes we're, man, we want to encourage people, like live a life full of boldness and courage. What would happen, though, if I stood up in front of a bunch of seniors one year and I said, hey, let me talk to you about emptiness. That what happens if you reach your dreams 
and it leaves you feeling completely empty. So what I want to do today is talk to you about emptiness because many of you are going to feel empty in life and I want to help you navigate that when you get there. I may never be invited to do anything like that again or I may be invited to do more of them because it's where a lot of people live. There's a man named Phil. You may not know who this guy is, Phil Vischer. And Phil started a company in the spare bedroom of his house. He just had a vision. He was a, he was a, a graphic designer, and he had a vision that what he wanted to do with his life is he wanted to create like a Christian version of Disney. So he created and launched what became the second uh, greatest producer of children's video in the world. Not just Christian video, children's video. And you know Phil is a guy who created Bob the Tomato and Larry the Cucumber. So, <laughs> VeggieTales. <clears throat> now, <laughs> many of you love Phil, and for a lot of parents in the room, we hate Phil. All right, I'm just joking, all right? But, I mean, many of you know like, what VeggieTales was. So he launches this, and it did really well. My sister, uh, her best friend said the day my sister died was a woman who worked with Phil, worked in VeggieTales for a number of years. And then what happened, I guess a little over a decade ago, is they, they were ambitious. They, Phil kept wanting to push them. And I, and I think Phil did the voice for every character on this show. It's, it's quite amazing if you ever pull up a YouTube video and watch what this guy could do. He was so creative, a, a genius. But he wanted to get bigger. He wanted more money. He wanted a company to be known all over the world. So he decided they were going to make a movie. And when he did, they didn't navigate this all right. And just like overnight, they went bankrupt. And Phil hit rock bottom. And now you can watch Phil. I think, I think he's done some um, TED Talks. You could pull up YouTube videos and you hear him talk about success and failure. Because he says it's one of the things, he said for him, he bought into a gospel of Jesus that really wasn't the gospel of Jesus at all. That for him, he loved having Jesus there as a sidekick, but he just wanted more money and a bigger company. And, and he was just climbing over people to make this happen. And then he was brought down, when, he, when, when they went bankrupt, he began to reflect on what the gospel of Jesus really is. And he made this statement, and I just thought, man, I, if I'm teaching on work, I've got to share this. And he said this, I'm growing increasingly convinced that if every one of these kids trying with passion to write a hit Christian song or make that hit Christian movie or start that hit Christian ministry to change the world would instead focus their passion on walking with God on a daily basis, the world would change. Because the world learns about God not by watching Christian movies, but by watching Christians. And this is true in your life this week. I want to ask elders and prayer leaders, if you will, go around the room to receive people. And as they go, some of the things I was asking God this week is like, God, what do you want me to leave people with? And I think what God wants you to hear today is that God is using some of you in this room. God is using all the people in this room in ways you will never know. He's using you to encourage people and to be ambassadors of the joy of God. He's using you in ways you never know and you may never know. 
And I think what God also wants you to know is that church isn't just a place where we come to meet and to connect with God. Church is where we are supposed to be equipped to learn how to meet God everywhere else in the world. So what we talk about today matters on how we live our Monday and our Tuesday and throughout the week. And I think God wants you to know that God's calling on your life is not to go out this week and be the the greatest hero in the world or a world changer. God's asking you to be faithful with what you have and to trust that that God can do something with it. If there's anything we can do to help connect you to God this week, whether you've never made a decision to be connected to Jesus in baptism, leaders are around this room to pray with you. We have tables set up. If there's something you need to write down, a stress in your work or in your life that we need to pray over this week, please take advantage of that. And if anyone in this room who is standing could serve you in speaking and praying a blessing over you, uh, we're here to receive you. Let's stand together. And please feel free to make your way around the room.